Today's podcast is sponsored by Fire Facilities Incorporated, expert engineers, designers, and manufacturers of steel training towers, burn rooms, and mobile units that are all made in the USA. Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today, my guest is Captain Adam Brenner. Now, Adam is a firefighter at Milburn, New Jersey Fire. He has a couple of degrees, one from New Jersey City University. He's got a bachelor's in fire safety. And from John Jay, he's got a master's of public administration and emergency management. Now, in the summer of 2000, he did an internship with one of his professors, Lieutenant Kevin Malley, who ran the health and fitness unit at the FDNY. Ever since then, he has been a passionate advocate for firefighter health and wellness. Brother Brenner, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Again, it's a great honor, and I really appreciate it. Well, I think we share a passion, and that is firefighter uh, fitness or well-being. Uh, specifically, my two big ones are when it comes to heart attacks and cancer. Um, my, what I always say is if, if you're lucky enough to not die of a heart attack at a fire ground, you got cancer right around the corner uh, after retirement, or God forbid, you, you know, sooner. So uh, my passion with that came uh, for a lot of different reasons. It wasn't one particular thing. Like, I didn't have one friend die of this. I just started noticing the spectrum uh, across the country. And it seemed a lot of it seemed like we were repeating bad behavior over and over. What got you started in all this? Well, two things. One, I had a friend of mine who was a uh, kind of a mentor to me, uh, Donnie Vanetichek. And he died of, he was a military firefighter at Picatinny Arsenal. And he was also a Newark, New Jersey firefighter. And in 2000, I believe it was, um, it might have actually been 99, somewhere around 99, 2000, he came down with pancreatic cancer. And he only lasted about seven months, unfortunately, and he died uh, in August. Uh, he went real quick. He, I mean, he fought. He fought tooth and nail. Uh, then right after that, and I think it was Donnie who kind of led me toward it, I met uh, Lieutenant Kevin Malley, who was a professor at uh, New Jersey City University. And he he was very big in the health and wellness, and he gave me the unique opportunity to work at FDNY Health and Wellness Unit, and we were studying the heart rates of firefighters uh, and how much heart rates go up. There was a study I read that he gave me from Bernard and Duncan, and this was all the way back in 1975, and what they noticed with the heart rate was that in any fire department, the more calls you go in at night, your heart rate keeps going up and up and up. There was actually a firefighter with maybe 150, 200 beats per minute while working on a roof when they got trapped by flames. And they also found out that when they got back to the station, the heart rate didn't go down. It just didn't go down. So when we, you know, when we go to the call and, you know, you know this, when you go out, whether it's one call or three calls a night or whatever, well, you could come back and you try to rest. You can't. You can after that second or third call. You're just, right. you know, you're wound up and your body's just, you know, even if it's just an activated alarm, it's it's still doing damage to our system. So what what were they suggesting after these studies? Well, okay, now we know that their heart rates are staying up. What were they suggesting to get those heart rates to come back down quicker? Well, uh, back in the 70s, they, they were still looking at, you know, trying to figure out, you know, why the heart rates were going up and everything. But now we know, and one of the things I learned from uh, Lieutenant Malley was that 
you know, physical fitness definitely and eating right are the two biggest things, not only for uh, heart prevention, you know, for heart, prevent heart attacks, but also for cancer prevention. I'm also uh, talking and working a lot with Dan Kerrigan, who does uh, firefighter functional fitness. Actually, I'm going to see him in Ohio, uh, the end of Ohio, uh, end of, uh, October in Ohio, they're doing a, um, brothers helping brothers and they're doing a whole health and wellness, uh, thing out in Beaver Creek, Ohio. And actually, uh, Frank Lee is going to be there also, uh, talking about more cancer stuff, but what's, um, yeah, I think eating right. And then we also, uh, I think the biggest thing with heart rate and heart attacks is we have to hydrate ourselves because what we're doing is, when we put on that gear and we start working, we're creating more and more energy. We're sweating, we're sweating. And the more we perspire, the more fluid we're losing and our blood's just getting thicker and it's causing clots. And some firefighters know that a lot of others don't. And I'll see firefighters still going for the, you know, the coffee or the soda at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, the weather we've been having has just been super hot. Mm -hmm. And we really just have to try to drink water. Um, Lieutenant Malley, when he was teaching me all this stuff, he was like, uh, you know, you don't don't go for the Gatorade either. Go if you want to take a small amount of orange juice, mix it with some water, and drink that. That's really? just as good. Yeah, and just it just will do it. And, and now, and that was twenty years ago. Now they have all types of uh, sugar free electrolytes and everything, so you can do that. But make sure that you're drinking plenty of water throughout the day, even the night before you go into your shift. And for volunteers, that's even tougher, but in the summer, just try to stay, it, well, summer or winter, try to stay as hydrated as you possibly can. So what you're saying is maybe when you go to work, even before you go to work, even though you're, you haven't, you're not going to a fire right away or you've been at a fire, just keep drinking water, stay hydrated because you are going to, you yep. know, you're going to lose those fluids when you have those emergencies. Right. And the other thing you can do also is, uh, you know, eat fruits and vegetables, uh, you know, during the day, if you have like an apple, you, you know, summer fruits are readily available anywhere in the U.S. And uh, so, you know, have a couple of peaches, have a couple of grapes. That's going to be able to add fluid and natural carbohydrates to your system. Wow. I remember, and this was 25 years ago, um, I was stationed in North Texas and I was visiting a friend who is about five or six hours south of me. And I can't remember the name of the base, but Anyway, I went to visit him, and of course, this was 25 years ago, you'd wake up to these horrible alarms in the middle of the night, and you just kind of get, you know, jolted out of bed with these these klaxons and stuff. Well, when I was visiting him, he said, uh, he goes, oh, I got to run, I got to go. Well, I didn't hear anything. And a couple seconds later, I started hearing the dee 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 getting louder and louder and louder. So he made his run, and he came back, and I asked him about that, and he said, yeah, they're they were using this base for a study, but the idea was instead of jolting firefighters out and shooting their, you know, their sympathetic nervous system through the roof and their heart going crazy, they get woken up by very low escalating tones. And he's so used to it now, he could hear it way before I could. And I remember thinking, ah, man, that's pretty cool. But I never saw that go anywhere else. Have, have you heard or seen anything like that? We actually, um, our last chief in Melbourne got a system called the Westnet system. And it's supposed to be, uh, it has red lights instead of white lights. And it has kind of a uh, lower tone beep to it that alerts firefighters. It, it doesn't, it's, I know the one you're talking about. We don't have that particular one and I haven't seen that in action. 
Mm-hmm. But something I want to go back to, it actually reminded me, uh, talking about the Bernard and Duncan study that we talked about before, one of the things they found, and you're talking about the jolting, getting up and out of bed, yeah, is that um, think like um, when you go on an EMS call and you have a dead body, you, you, you flip them over to find out how long they've been dead, right? You have the mm-hmm. lividity and everything. That actually happens to us when we're sleeping. It's called venous pooling. And your blood actually pools in your body. So when you jolt up, it's like a water hammer going through your body. And that's oh. another thing that can affect you also. Holy cow. I had no idea. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about the exercise portion of it, right? We know we need to eat better, which for me is my biggest struggle. Uh, eating, I mean, they deliver pizza. I mean, I just got to literally, well, I just got to get my phone now and say, bring me delicious pizza. Um, I think, so I kind of blame the pizza places for my poor eating. I don't really think it's my fault, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I know they deliver salads too. I get you. But um, when it comes to physical fitness, um, that seems to be a little bit easier to do than eating healthier. But um, where do you start? Where do you start? What's your goal? Uh, What if you don't work out? You know, Uh, so is it more cardio? Is it weightlifting? What have you seen and heard? Well, I, I think, and for, for, there's been times when I haven't worked out, you you fall into that slump like a baseball player, and you just can't get yourself motivated. We've all been there. But I think that some people are taking it to an extreme. Now, if you're one of those extreme people and you want to go full blast, and like uh, with Dan Kerrigan's Functional Fitness book, well, I'm actually diving into that now after working out just some basic stuff for a while. But if you just get on the treadmill and walk and maybe put it on a slight incline, that's really all you need. You know, we don't, our our problem is that not just in the fire service, but in America, we're going from zero to 60 in in less than a second, like a fifth of a second. And Mm -hmm. that's not what we need to do. You know, there's two things, you know, another good friend of mine who I'm sure you know, uh, Burden Clark, you know, talks about the culture. Mm-hmm. in the fire service. So if we can create a culture where it's, you know, firefighters are very driven to do stuff. Well, create a culture that says, you know what, it's all right to do a little less. Like if you're just working out, you know, if you have six guys that are lifting 250 pounds, you know, a day and everything, lifting weights, and stuff, you don't necessarily have to do that. But if you can just walk on an incline, just listen to some music, watch some TV, get on the treadmill and walk, do an incline, that's going to help you tremendously. They're always talking about, hey, if you just go for a walk, you know, and then once you graduate from there, then maybe try something else that's a little harder and, you know, just, you know, then push yourself. But don't fall into the habit. And I've, I've seen it in the fire service and just people who are doing regular weightlifting. If you do too much in the beginning, you try too hard, you're going to burn yourself out. And then you won't want to do it. Absolutely. I've had quite a few people. I'll, I've, I've always tried to stay in shit. Well, I say it not always. Uh, since in, in my mid-30s, I'm 54 now. So my mid-30s, I really took my physical fitness more seriously uh, with cardio and lifting and all that. Never to be a bodybuilder, but to stay in shape, basically. Stay fit. That was my always the thing I'd say. I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder. I'm just trying to stay fit. Uh, right. But people would ask me, you know, they'd say, well, not even ask me. say, you know what? I like what you're doing. I'm going to eat better today. I'm, I'm going to start running. I'm going to start lifting weight. I'm going to start all this tomorrow. And I'd always say, no, don't. Absolutely don't do that because 
you're setting yourself up for failure if you're trying to make all these life changing events happen all at once. You know, right. to your point, start walking, start, you know, make one or two meals a little bit better and just keep building and building and building on that because you're more likely to fail. If you fail at any of those things all at once, you're more likely just to say, you know what, screw it. You know, it's not for me. Um, and, and to your point earlier as well, I'm in a slump right now where I can't stand to go to the gym. I can't. I went there today and sat in the parking lot for 10 minutes. I was like, God, I really don't want to do this. Uh, but I have a responsibility to, you know, the community, my family, myself, you know, new kittens we got. So I try to I, I try to keep it going. But I got to admit, at 54, it is getting a lot harder, a lot harder. It, it, it does. And you know what? I'm 52 and I got back into it. And one of the things that uh, my wife let me buy is that we have a low ceiling in our house. So I couldn't hang a heavy bag. And I like to do boxing every now and then. So I got myself one of those bobs. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen them, but it's like a torso on a stand. It would you fill know, with like, water. One of those, yeah, you fill it with water or sand. You get one of those, you get a pair of boxing gloves, and just, you know, if you're having a bad day, go downstairs and wail at it. That's yeah. going to bring up your heart rate and stuff, where, you know, kind of work your arms and shoulder muscles. And it's great for me. You know, I'm not a big, you know, I do light weightlifting, you know, not like the animals that are, you know, trying to prove that they can lift <laughs> 500 pounds. Because as Dan Kerrigan said, that's really not going to do you any good. Because, all right, you can lift that car off the person once. But if you're at a fire and you got to work through that fire for like an hour, you may not have that strength and stamina to go that long. Right. So you need to do, you know, lower weights, higher reps, keep yourself going. Absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, I remember 18, 17, 18 years ago, damaging my shoulder, lifting, trying to lift too much. And uh, it popped. And then eventually I ended up having surgery on it. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think you need to be chasing high numbers and all that. I think you need to be chasing consistency in the gym. Uh, you might. You're gonna have good days in the gym. You're gonna have bad days in the gym. Uh, now, I remember I've read a couple studies, and it, they, they, when I say they, the scientific community doesn't seem to know why exercise helps us directly. They make a bunch of assumptions, and one of the things I read was because you're getting your heart rate up, you're getting your core temperature up. And when you're getting your core temperature up, uh, you're actually killing some of the, ba- the the bad bacteria or viruses or anything in you that's brand new just starting because they're, they're too weak at that point. They haven't propagated throughout your system. Have you heard or seen anything about like that or any other studies about that? Uh, I I have not, but I wouldn't doubt it because they're always talking about when you work out, even a light workout, like just going on the treadmill, is going to boost your mood and your endorphins. Mm -hmm. And I think once you do that, even if you're in a slump, and like you and I both said, we've been in several slumps where we just, you know, had trouble getting out of it, but we finally did. Again, if you just go back to the basics, if you're not doing, you know, if you're not doing that two-hour workout, maybe you just do 30 minutes on a treadmill, listen to some music you like, Mm -hmm. that'll put you in a better mood, and then that'll get you started going down the exercising path. So yeah. I wouldn't doubt it, but, you know, there's still a lot of studies I'm sure that need to be done that, you know, science is finding out new stuff all the time. Um, but, you know, again, you know, if, if walking or, you know, just or standing there doing 100 jumping jacks makes you feel better and then makes you want to move on to the next step then go for it, you know, Absolutely. don't worry about what the studies say. I, 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 you know, I think studies are like statistics, you know, and they say air travel is the safest way to, uh, you know, or safest way to travel but if you're the one going down in the plane 
<laughs> you don't think that's the case. So, <laughs> you know, you, you can do a study of 100 people. And, you know, what, what's that going to do for you? I mean, you know, find out what works for you, not what works for the study or other people. Absolutely. Um, have you heard of the calcium scoring screening test? I have, and I've actually added a couple of times. I've had, I wrote an article about it. And for those that are listening, if they, if they haven't uh, heard this before, the calcium scoring screening test is where you can get basically an x-ray, a CAT scan of your chest, uh, and they have a way to equate calcium in your uh, main arteries of your heart to plaque. And it's a, I think it's a score of zero to 400. And uh, they can tell you if you're clogged up or not before having a big heart attack. I mean, that's pretty much the, the short story of that. And I've had one and I'm getting ready to take another one. Uh, and they also have one now where um, you can get the calcium scoring screening test and your uh, carotid arteries, um, whatever they do, Doppler or whatever on that. Uh, and it's all right. cheap. So the, when I found out about this, you don't need insurance. You don't need a doctor's recommendation. I spent $50 and 30 minutes. And at the end of that 30 minutes, I already had my score and everything. So that's another thing wow. I try to encourage people to do is, and it all came from a friend of mine having a, a big heart attack. His, his Widowmaker was blocked 80%. He survived, but uh, he almost didn't. And I asked my doctor just when I was getting a physical, I just said, hey, how come we have to wait till we have a heart attack before we know how blocked we are in our arteries? And she said, oh, you don't. And that's what led me down this path. Uh, it's a fantastic way to get a jump on it with heart disease being such a problem in the fire service. It, it should be, uh, you know, every year to three years. And I believe our employers should pretty much pay for that. That's my thoughts. Yep. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with New Jersey, but uh, kudos to the Jersey City Fire Department. And they had one of their captains, uh, Captain Buccio, who died uh, while he was skiing with his family. And his wife, you know, started to research and find out, I forget what her first name is, but she basically came up with what's now called throughout the state of New Jersey, the Buccio program. And there is a couple of different sites. I'm not sure how many sites there are in the state, but they would go there. Whatever insurance you have, that's what they take. You don't have to pay a copay or anything. You don't have to pay anything additional. And they put you through a battery of tests. For, um, you know, they put you on a stress test, they do an echocardiogram, uh, they do blood work, they do everything, and you can go every year to get it done. And it's a fantastic program. Uh, some departments in New Jersey, I know the department next to us in Springfield, uh, they have it in their contract that they have to go. Um, others is just, you know, voluntary. But if you're a New Jersey firefighter, whether you're volunteer or career, and you're not, I've done it. Um, I've got to do it again this year. Uh, it It's so important to do. It's just, it's just an amazing program that the Buccio family has put together for New Jersey firefighters, uh, you know, knowing, you know, how bad the heart disease is and everything. And I'm so upset that their husband, you know, father had to die in order to get this program going. But it, it's saved, I'm sure, thousands of lives so far of firefighters. That's amazing. I would love to see the data on... Uh, firefighter deaths due to heart attack before and after they implemented that program. I bet that's amazing. It is. It's really an amazing program. Yeah. Well, we've talked a little bit about eating better and we've talked a little bit about um, working out. 
I want to take a quick break in between here because I, I got so excited about talking to you today about, about cancer and health and wellness. I kind of forgot one main question. I want to know what got you started in the fire service and where did it lead? You know, where was your path to where it led today? I was a, uh, I, I was a kid uh, who went, my parents forced me to go to boarding school. And I hated boarding school, and I had a lot of uh, learning disabilities, such as uh, dyslexia and ADD. And I really didn't know where I wanted to be. And uh, at the time, Milburn Fire Department was a combination department. It was volunteer uh, and career. And uh, basically, a lot of volunteer members would eventually become career members going through the civil service exam. And I was thinking about it, and one of our landscapers was a Milburn career firefighter. And he talked to my mom one day and he said, you know, have Adam sign up for the volunteers. It, you know, it can't hurt. And I had already been thinking of it. I was, uh, you know, I used to watch Emergency as a kid, uh, <laughs> you know, with Johnny Gage and uh, yeah, Roy DeSoto and watching all that. So I, I loved it. I would always dress up in my, uh, you know, raincoat and stuff and pretending every time we went out to errands uh, that I'd be going on a call. <laughs> uh, so it was just, it, it's just something that I always wanted to do. And, and like my whole family. When they found out I became a volunteer and then a paid member of the department, they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we saw that coming years ago. That tracks. So it was just, <laughs> you know, but, but the, the funny thing was, I just thought that it was, you know, cutting holes in roofs, pulling up, you know, pulling lines up, you know, and putting water on fire. The more I got into it, and then I wasn't even sure if I was, you know, really wanted to be a captain or not, but I decided to become a captain. And I just, becoming a captain, I've just been able to do so much stuff. Um, you know, one of the things I did was I got our department to work on a grant with the Leary's Firefighter Foundation, and we were able to get two, uh, we had one washing machine, one extractor up at our station too, and that could only wash one or two shells or one or two liners at a time. Mm-hmm. Now for, you know, we have about seven to 11 uh, crew members a day working 24-hour shifts. If you go come back from a fire, that's not enough. And you got to get, you have cross-contamination. And I know we're jumping ahead with cancer, but you got mm-hmm. cross-contamination. I said, look, we need two extractors, one at headquarters and one at station two. So we're not dragging the stuff up to station two anymore. We applied for the Leary's Firefighter Grant and uh, we were blessed. We got a grant for two new extractors that do Six shells or six liners at a time. We got uh, dryer cabinets, and now the headquarters units can do their uh, at, um, their gear at headquarters, and the Station 2 crew can do their gear at Station 2. And, you know, putting taking the stuff that I learned from college and being, a, being an officer, I've just been able to do so much on the health and wellness front, especially with the cancer and firefighting. So it's just it's been an amazing journey. You know, and I, I would, a lot of people say that college is, you know, just a piece of paper or something. But again, I go back to my friend, Burden Clark, who says that, you know, maybe we could prevent a lot of line of duty deaths if we get more education, not saying that you necessarily have to get a degree, but take some fire science classes, take some other classes at, you know, either community college or someplace like Jersey City University and talk to, you know, the thing I loved about it was I got to go to school with people from every walk of life. You had people who were in public administration, people in private administration, you had bankers, you had postal workers, 
You had off people who worked in offices, offices, whether they were mail clerks or they were executives, and you 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 feed you get feedback from them, and they get feedback from you on how you do you know how do you do performance evaluations, you know how do you do management, how do you do this, what what's your way, you know, and it's it's just really amazing. So I really strongly recommend you know people really further their education, even if it's the National Fire Academy, any way that they can. Because every firefighter, I believe, really has something amazing to contribute to the fire service. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a yep. huge proponent to higher education. Uh, I hate that you have to take on some debt. Hopefully there's some you know places out there that have some kind of uh, uh, reimbursement. But uh, I love what you said. You know, the, basically, you know, the more of us that learn, the more likely we're going to stop some of these ba- this bad cycle. Now, you've brought up the big C word all, right out of the gate. So let's talk about that. Right. All right. I'm more worried about that than a heart attack any day of the week when I'm talking about that, because I figure if a heart attack, I might get lucky and just go. Right. But with cancer, not only does it affect you, it affects your family. It's you more times than not. You're lingering, you're suffering, your family's watching. It's a horrible way to go. And in the fire service, uh, we have a higher percentage for a lot of cancers, a lot of nasty cancers, too. Um, I know there's been a lot of studies. I think the NIOSH study was what fourteen percent higher than the average, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I believe it was. Um, I think back in two thousand seventeen, uh, the um, the IAFF reported sixty six percent of the line of duty deaths were from cancer. Why is that? Why are we dying of cancer? Well, there's a couple things. Before we get in the can, we just have to learn that smoke and fire gases are dangerous. And, you know, a lot of people still, you know, even if there isn't a, like, you don't see smoke, there still can be carcinogens in the air, invisible gases and everything. And I actually do a class called The Dangers of Smoke and Fire Gases, where I talk about cancer. But there's other immediate stuff that you have to worry about also. You have to worry about hydrogen cyanide. Hydrogen cyanide kills your organs very quickly. Um, it's also an escape inhibitor. Uh, one of the things, uh, back in 2001, there was a Phoenix firefighter, Brett Tarver, mm-hmm. who was in a supermarket fire, and he, he ran out of air. And basically, when his rescue team came to get him, he was fighting him off. He stood up and ran back into the smoke, and they didn't find him till later. And they call and, and Chief Butacini at the time called this guy like Paul Bunyan. We think of Paul Bunyan as like invincible. It's Protestant combustion, the hydrogen cyanide, and the carbon monoxide just knocked them down. And the big thing people don't realize about hydrogen cyanide is it's an escape inhibitor. And it will also, so if you have any underlying conditions, and like we talked about before with the gear, the gear. <clears throat> You're sweating, your blood's getting thicker. Now you breathe in the stuff, hydrogen cyanide, that's going to knock, it just affects your brain and your heart and just stops your heart. And it, it just, it can knock you down like that. So we have to worry about the gases that can affect us right off the bat. Because um, in that study they did in Harvard back, I think it was 2017 or 2018, they said it's bet- the combination of stress and toxic fire gases or a lethal combination for firefighters. And if you go on YouTube, uh, I don't know, you remember the show with William Shatner, Rescue 911? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
there is an episode that I use in my class, and it's um, if you put go in the YouTube and you put in Rescue Nine One One episode five hundred four, uh, yeah, five zero four. There's a um, they have a Kilgore, Texas firefighter, um, uh, Gil Messer was his name, and he they have a supermarket fire, and they have two people trapped. He runs in without putting on his mask. And now he was a smoker and everything, but, you know, you're also a firefighter, so you have the stress of that. They go in, he breathes in the smoke, and he comes out and he goes, man, cigarettes are going to kill me. They keep robbing me of my breath. Next thing they know, he goes into a seizure, and he goes into cardiac arrest. And the poor paramedic who's working on him is like, I think I'm going to see my first firefighter die in the line of duty. And one of the things I bring up is how much, you know, have you ever seen a firefighter die in a line of duty? And luckily, the answer is no, but you don't want to. So breathing in these toxic, you know, products of combustion, especially the hydrogen cyanide and the carbon monoxide, it's a one-two punch. If you're in the right concentrations of it, you're not wearing your mask, it'll, it'll kill you. It'll kill you instantly. So one of the things... That one of the things I'm I, I'm trying to change desperately. My department we don't have any cancer prevention or health and wellness uh, program at all. Uh, there's been they've tried to start a few. It just it hasn't hasn't really worked. Um, but one of the things I, I keep I here's what I tell my bosses: we can start a cancer prevention uh, pro- program today, zero dollars. You know, uh, by doing field decon after fires, uh, no dirty gear inside the cab, clean the cab, consistently clean the interior of the cab. I'm not talking about a clean cab where you don't have your packs. I'm talking about literally right. cleaning your cab. Um, no bunker gear in the uh, in the firehouse. Uh, if the list goes on and on and all the stuff we can do, but the one that drives me the craziest is the air packs during overhaul. And there's this, this I like gas detectors, but there's this false sense of security with gas detectors. Right before they do overhaul, they'll test for gases. Well, we don't have the four main. We don't have iron cyanide. Let's go in there and get it. But there's other gases in there. There's heavy particulates in there. And we have the highest level of respiratory care right there in our fire truck, an SCBA. People choose not to wear it all the time. And it's infuriating. Now, I did it, too. I'm not saying I didn't. I did it, too. Uh, but when I became a battalion chief and I started learning more about this, I, I realized how lucky I must have been and how stupid I definitely was. Um, it doesn't cost a lot to get these programs started. Uh, what are some things besides the gear extractors could we do as well uh, and the stuff that I mentioned? What are some other things? What am I missing? Well, there um one of my friends up in Canada, who I forget where he's a, uh, a chief, but uh, Peter McBride, uh, I was talking to him. I met him down at a uh, fire cancer seminar down in uh, Florida. And he sent me this thing where these uh, two kids, they're like four-year-olds, and they have underwear, uh, dirty underwear on top of their heads. And basically, he, he goes, you know, think about it. If you're in a kitchen, and we've all done this in the kitchen, Somebody farts in the kitchen, right? What does everybody do? They get up and they run out of there. So if, if somebody farts in the kitchen and they get up and run out of there, why are they not putting their mask on when they're in a fire? Because you're worried. Now, if you have a 
let's say a Porter John truck and a, um, you know, tr- some other truck, uh, like a uh, cesspool or something like that that just drained and they crash into each other. Are you going to be going in there rescuing the people and then high-fiving everybody and not wiping that shit off your face? Exactly. Of course you are. Yes. Well, that's why we have to do it when we have soot on our face and breathing in these toxic gases because they are disease-causing contaminants. We have to think of them like shit. We have to think of them like farts. It, it, yeah, it's bathroom humor, but it's, it, makes, it gets the point across, and that's what Chief McBride up in Canada to- told me. You know, He goes, tell the people that they're disease-causing contaminants. Like we're talking about hydrogen cyanide. You breathe in, they, they did studies where um, I think members brought, uh, breathed in 4 to 12% over seven years. Now, 4 to, 4% to 12% of hydrogen cyanide is not a lot. But over seven years, these workers, I don't think they were firefighters, but these workers came up with throat irritation, change in taste and smell, uh, nervous system instability. That's a lot of things for just breathing in four to twelve percent of hydrogen cyanide over seven years. And you know what? We're doing that every day, walking into that pot on the stove fire. You go to mm-hmm. that activated alarm. What did they do? They got that pot on the stove. So that's either going to cause us one disease, which is you know the nervous system instability and the loss of taste and smell, and the throat irritation, or it's going to cause us cancer. All of them are diseases. And that's what we have to remember. They're all diseases. And that's what we want to try to prevent. I mean, I I lost one of my former girlfriends to cancer. She wasn't a firefighter, but I saw her die of cancer. And I saw my friend Donnie Venenichek die of cancer. It is not pretty. It is a very ugly situation. My girlfriend, I lived with her until the day she died. And it it was, uh, she was diagnosed in March. And she died in November. And it just, it's its a lot of work for not only yourself, but the caretakers. And I always think of what Billy Goldfeder says. If you've ever seen that bit video by Billy Goldfeder, uh, where he talks about who's in your cell phone. Take a look at who's in your cell phone. And, you know, he's talking about wearing seatbelts and all that. But besides wearing seatbelts, wear your mask. Clean your gear. Because those, you know, not only are, may you die and leave them behind, and you're not going to see their weddings, you're not going to see the birth of your grandkids or any of those other great events, they might be taking care of you for the next six months. And presumptive legislation, there was a report by NPR uh, News Radio that said, look, don't rely on the presumptive legislation because basically if they want to turn you down and say that you didn't get cancer on the job, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's been happening in Ohio. It's been happening in Texas. It's been happening in Arizona. A lot of people are fighting for their benefits. And, you know, the thing is, once you get cancer, it's too late. Yep. So I got to, I had a, had to, oh yeah, I know I was going to ask you. So we talked about the gear extractors and stuff. Um, so I've heard, I went to a Lion uh, gear conference and they told me, the question came up, how many times can you wash your gear? And the lady told us, well, we have rolls of it that we wash so far a hundred times and it's fine. Now, salespeople have said and told some of my administration, you can only wash gear a very, a handful of times during its lifetime. So which is it? Is it, can we wash our gear after every fire in an extractor 
or is it a limited amount of time? Uh, from what I understand, it's a limited amount of time, but so don't like, if you're going to wash it once a week, whether you go to a fire or not go to a fire, don't wash it every week. But if you go, if you go to a fire and it's soiled, wash it. That's what I was told by our gear officer. So it, whether it's, you know, if you go to a good moderate smoke condition or even light smoke condition from food on the stove and your gear gets contaminated, your hood gets contaminated, wash it. But, you know, here's the thing. It's better to have clean gear. And if your gear, you know, I, I understand gear is expensive, but if you need to replace the gear, you need to replace the gear. You know what? You, you can't say, well, we're not going to wash the gear that much because, the manufacturer and the seller say it might break down, but then on the other, which is kind of odd because I figure they want to sell as much gear as they possibly can. Right. But, on, you know, on the other hand is that, you know, well, are we going to keep these contaminants on the gear and everything and just have them, you know, spread all over the place? I say if the gear gets dirty, whether it's car fire, dumpster fire, food on the stove fire, whatever it is, wash it. Because, you know, not only the gear is not going to work. We've always heard for for years, even before this cancer stuff started, dirty gear doesn't work for you. It's not going to protect you when your gear is all covered in soot and everything and all the products of combustion. It doesn't work as well. It doesn't keep the heat out as well. I remember I used to ride with a uh, battalion chief friend of mine over at uh, Rescue 3 back in the early 90s. Man, when I walked by that gear, that gear was hate with stuff it was like cardboard you could barely move it and i was like how do these guys work in that stuff now you won't <laughs> see that today i mean now everybody's you know washing the gear keeping it clean and stuff but it's just i mean that's dangerous because not only that those particulates on the gear combustible so you can become a flaming torch you sent me a video uh earlier today and i'm gonna put a link up here in this video uh with that exact video, it was, it's five minutes long and it was, you, I mean, you know where they're going with it, but right. when you see where they actually end up with it, it, it it's kind of oh, frightening. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that video. Well, um, I had seen it a year ago when I went down to Florida for the uh, Sylvester Cancer uh, Seminar down there. And then we had the First Responder Center for Excellence do a um, cancer seminar, which uh, Chief Lieb was part of. Uh, back in February, and all the people that showed up to that have been sharing that video all over the place. And it's what it does is it shows you how you can spread the products of combustion all over your station, all over your house, how it's on your gear, and you just if you're not clean, it's going to leave those products of combustion everywhere. They use a uh, invisible dust that I believe they said that they used for, uh, you know, tracking money that's, you know, stolen and everything. Mm -hmm. And they use an ultraviolet light. And when they shine the light, you know, after somebody walked with this invisible dust on their bunker gear all over the place, you see it everywhere. So you see, you know, we keep talking about the contaminants that get transferred, you know, and again, that's why we decided to go with the Leary's Firefighter Foundation and get a grant for two new extractors so we could have one at each station. So we're not throwing it in the vehicle, not, you know, taking it up and, you know, cross-contamination of everything. You want to try to limit the contamination. The nice thing about where our extractors are, you don't have to bring it through the fire station. 
there's a separate entrance for mm-hmm. both of them at each station that you just bring them in, throw them in. And now our problem is, and our chief is working on it right now, we don't have a second set of turnout gear. Hopefully in the next two to three years, we will. But um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing how much contaminants, if you walk out of a fire, you don't bother to brush yourself off or hose yourself down or whatever. You get back in the apparatus, back in, you know, you go in the kitchen with your bunker gear on. It's it's just really an eye opener. And everybody who went to the seminar back in February was like, wow, that's, that really is an eye opener. Yeah. The video, as it goes on and on, like I've seen so many similar type videos and I know where they're going with it. Right. So I know they got that stuff on there and uh, they follow the firefighter through the firehouse. But what got me was the end where they were playing with a, uh, they brought a a child in and they were throwing a volleyball with the child. And then they checked the child and the child had contaminants on it. The ball, obviously, uh, every then they go in the firehouse and the coffee pot, the keyboard, the phone, everything is covered in this stuff. And it is really eye opening to see. Yeah, you're maybe you don't want to take a shower right away or whatever, but that's your your call as wrong as it is. It's your call. But now you're affecting everybody in the firehouse and their family. They're taking right. they, they may not even made the run and they're taking your contaminants home to their family. Yep. And, the you know, you mentioned about, the you know, the little kid at the end and everything. You know, what do we see on the news from time to time? Like, you know, the world news and stuff, is you know, some fire department somewhere in the USA, uh, there were, you know, a whole, you know, a family of firefighters that, you know, all had babies at the same time. So what are they doing? They're standing in their bunker gear, holding yeah. up their infant ch- children. And my gear officer and I were talking about that. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why yes. would you do it? Even if your gear has been through an extractor, I don't, you know, I don't have kids, but I wouldn't even want my animals. I got three dogs and two cats. I wouldn't want my <laughs> animals near my bunker gear. I've wondered that myself. Every time I see a picture of a newborn in turnout gear, I'm like, you can green screen anything. You can, you can Photoshop anything now. Let's two different things. Don't put them together in, in real life. Take a picture of your bunker gear, take a picture of your kid and, I've always wondered what the hell they were thinking, but, oh, well, what are you going to do? Let's wrap up here. Tell me what can we do to stop ourselves from dying of cancer uh, and and maybe dying of heart attacks? What's what's the easiest thing you can tell us? Well, I think um, leadership, I think any other state that doesn't have a program like the Bushio program as far mm-hmm. as heart attacks, I would get in contact with the Jersey City Fire Department in Jersey City and ask them how to get in contact with the Bushio program, ask them what they did, and let's see if we can get that going national. I think that would be huge. And the other thing I didn't mention was it is all confidential. So unless you sign the contract where the, you know, the the department says you have to go and everything and, you know, your unions and everybody agree, if you just go yourself, use your own insurance, they, I mean, if, if they say your arteries are 90% blocked and you still want to go to work the next day, which I wouldn't recommend, mm-hmm. you can. It's all, it's confidential, which is, which is nice because, you know, you're, that allow, you know, doesn't allow your employer to do it. Um, one of the things we did for Safety Stand Down the last two years was we teamed up with a local hospital, our St. Barnabas Hospital, and we had a health fair for all first responders and their families. 
Now, it was a non-fasting blood test and blood pressure and stuff, but those are the kind of fun things that your department could do, and you can invite neighboring departments to join you. Any hospital would be willing to team up with you. They, they have outreach programs that they do for everybody else. Why not do for the fire departments? And it's, you know, just contact your local hospital. Say, hey, we want to do like a health clinic. We want to do a health fair. And they'll work with you and, you know, do one. So that's what you can do. Um, it, but with cancer, policy and leadership, you have, you know, try to get members to take a shower right when they get back. Um, our chief knows that I'm very passionate about the cancer and uh, health and safety of firefighters. First day he came in, he put signs up on all the doors outside the apparatus floor that say, no turnout gear past this point. And I was like, thank you. The other thing he did when he saw how passionate I was um, it, about cancer and everything, we now we used to go for physicals every other year. Now mm-hmm. we do them every year. So if there's something to catch, we can catch it early. We're not trying to get rid of members. We just want to catch it. We can send them for help. You know, right. if you got to put them out on sick leave a little bit, it's a lot better than a dead firefighter. Absolutely. Um, but those are the those are things I recommend. Definitely, you know, all states try to get something like the Bushio program going. Each individual fire department team up with your hospital. Get a health fair going. Because not only do they do the non-fasting blood and everything, but you also learn about nutrition. And you, you learn about exercise. And you can talk to different doctors there and everything. It, it's really an eye-opening experience. And the family members, if the firefighters don't want to listen, you bring your family members, your, your little son or daughter is going to be tugging at you, go, hey, look, pay attention. I want you around for a long time. And then again, you know, I mean, I don't know. what I may, as a captain... We go to a car fire, a garbage fire, whatever. I tell my crew, and I only it's me and two other firefighters. Uh, I say, look, you're wearing your mask at everything. Even if it's a trash can fire, wear your mask. We have them. And, you know, it's funny. You always see them wearing the tanks with the mask hanging down. So I, I don't know if they have families who have, you know, like they, they have chiropractors they, they want to find <laughs> or something. You know, because they're killing their back, you might as well wear the air on the back. You know, why it's on you. You know, so oh, yeah. overhaul situations, you know, until you're out of that building, keep your mask on. Yes. And the last thing I can think for any firefighter that's listening to this, if you don't believe there's a cancer problem in the fire service, Google firefighter dies of cancer. Go to the news tab on Google and you will see not all. But a lot of firefighters, and a lot of them don't have anything to do with 9-11. They were like kids when 9-11 happened. But they're like in their 20s and 30s dying of these rapidly acting cancers. And uh, just, you know, you'll you'll see all the, you know, this firefighter died of cancer this time. You know, you could go on um, YouTube and see all the funerals of all the firefighters that have died of cancer where their kids are standing there. You know, show that. Um, another video, if nobody's ever seen it, um, it from way back in 2006, is Mark Noble, uh, Need It Like a Hole in the Head. He was an Olympia, Washington firefighter. He died of cancer, I think, back in 2005 or 2006, died of brain cancer. He was kind of like what I call the warning shot. He was the first person. He had brain cancer, but why he had brain cancer? He was researching why firefighters were getting cancer, which is truly amazing. If you can find... Uh, if nobody can find it, I've got a copy of it. We can put it up in your site or whatever. 
It's really an amazing video. And it, like I said, he was the warning shot. And that was also one of the things that got me started thinking, you know, hey, I lost a friend to cancer. I don't want to see any more die of cancer. You know, so just, you know, be be stern about it. If you're an officer, you're a chief, go to your go to your cities, tell them you want physicals every year. Go to your hospital, say you want a health fair every year for your firefighters. Have them come voluntarily. Don't force them to come. Uh, what hospitals usually do if they if they see something, basically all they'll do is say they'll send you a letter to your home saying, you know, we found something. We'd like to come in for further testing. Your department doesn't know a thing about it. Absolutely. So I'm going to end on this. If you're listening to this podcast or or listen to it, tell somebody else if you're already doing this. If you're if you don't wear your air pack mask and everything through overhaul, if you don't have a fitness program, if you don't eat well, if you, if, and you just have it your whole career and it's hard to start, I will quote a mutual friend of ours, Frank Lieb. Chief Lieb said on my podcast, when's the best time to plant a tree? A hundred years ago. When's the second best time today? So if you, if you haven't done these, if you've done all the things wrong, you can listen to this and start doing everything right. Do the best you can. And I don't like to hear when older people say, well, if I got it, I got it. No, bullshit. Bullshit. Don't do it for you. Do it for your family. Brother Brenner, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I well, really enjoyed thank you for it. for having me. This has been great. It has. It has. Great. It has. It's it, it, probably the only person that gets excited to talk about cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to do everything I can to stop my brothers and sisters from dying from it. We, we, we don't get excited about talking about it. We get excited about preventing it. Exactly. Even better. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you, my friend. Stay safe See out ya. there. You too. Yep, bye. Today's podcast was sponsored by Fire Facilities, designers and manufacturers of realistic, built-to-last training structures and mobile units for 30 years. Make training count. Visit firefacilities.com for more information. 